Radio Mano Papachango. It's Aurelia and Josie. We're uh, doing this little voice memo to you from Germany and to all the other listeners, especially the mama bears. Uh, For some reason, I think about this community. (laughs) The mama bears. I think about this community uh, around Mother's Day. Um, Mother's Day is on Sunday, and uh, I think I did a voice memo two years ago around Mother's Day, and uh, that was when I I had just given birth to Ari, and I was <laughs> really needing community and a life raft, and uh, sorry for the, the weirdness I'm being climbed on right now, but yeah, your book, Civilized to Death, and getting a chance to meet you in person and connect with some of the other listeners and actually have community more than just virtually has been a lifesaver and there you go and has genuinely changed fundamentally changed the way that I've parented thank you Josie uh (laughs) it's hard for me to imagine how I have any effect on how anyone parents uh given the fact that I'm so far away from it it's hard for me to even listen to that message as cute and wonderful as it is with all the interruptions and the squealing child climbing on you I can just like feel your attention fracturing into 15 different places which I guess parents learn to do without being thrown off their game by it I don't know is it something that's already there and that's why you're a good parent or is it something you learn uh so that you won't murder your offspring which uh would would be you know bad in terms of darwinian logic uh yeah i don't have it i've never had it it's a weird thing i i appreciate it it's it's kind of like male beauty i guess like i i see you know fucking uh matthew mcconaughey is a good looking dude i can see that i can see why women would want to be with him or gay dudes would want to be with him or bi dudes would want to be with him or whatever but me uh, uh, i don't know It's, it's a weird thing i see it i recognize it but i don't resonate with it anyway i'm glad you do josie i met josie at a signing in, uh, where was that? That was back in uh, Portland a while back. And she asked me to sign uh, her body, which I did. Lovely, lovely body. Much better than my signature. <laughs> it was far better than my signature. Anyway, uh, just thought I'd play that. This is uh, an episode that Josie had a lot to do with. Uh, She comes up in the episode. These are a couple of dudes who um, work in reforming 
police work to try to make it more um, sort of open to mental health issues and rather than you know, showing up with guns and tasers, uh, a blasting and, and uh, flashing um, to take uh, a mental health approach, uh, a more sort of um, community-based uh, social services approach to people who are having mental health issues. It's amazing that we need to even think about this. It's amazing that this is considered kind of radical reform in our justice system. But it is. Uh, this country is so far behind in so many areas. And uh, this is one of them. Uh, it's wonderful to have people like the like these two guys um, doing this work and um, bringing American policing into the 21st century. So these guys have a company called Solution Point Plus. Um, I guess Joe Smaro is the owner and uh, Jesse Trevino is the co-founder and president of the company. And uh, they're talking with me about cultivating mental wellness to maximize human capital and promote safety and um, stop people from getting shot when they're just having a, uh, a bit of instability, which uh, I think we can all agree is is very important. Um, Josie wrote to me, I guess she saw uh, a show, a documentary on HBO called Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. And uh, she was very moved by it. And she reached out to these guys and sort of checked them out and made sure they were legit. And then she wrote to me and asked if I'd be interested in talking with them. And I said, well, of course, if they're interested in talking to me and she, you know, ran it by them and just lined up the whole thing, sent me this amazing email, like outlining who they are. Here's what they do. Here's what the show is. Here's a, you know, password so you can watch the show. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. Totally. Like I get emails every day from publicists pitching people to me and they're not a fifth as professional and well thought out as what Josie did. So Josie, I'm sure you're an amazing mom, but when you get a break from that, there's a future for you in uh, publicizing pe good people and good causes if you're up for it. All right. I am, uh, I, this is one of many episodes I recorded in the last couple of weeks, as I promised in the last episode, I'm trying to get these out the door a little quicker. For some reason I thought, I guess I was still in in uh, COVID mindset, thinking oh, I'll never get to record any any uh, episodes once I'm on the road, so I better do it while I've got this Wi-Fi. And then I get out on the road, and all these great guests are dropping into my lap. Just yesterday, I spoke with Hall of Fame NFL player Tony Gonzalez, uh, so that's coming up soon. Um, fascinating dude, really cool guy. And uh, the only mystery about that episode is why the hell did he? give me an hour of his day. And I asked him that. That's the first question. Like, what's in this for you, dude? Uh, it seems like all potential downside, you know, for a guy like that. He's Fox sports analyst, you know, NFL pregame show. He's an actor. He's, as I said, literally hall of fame, uh, tight end. Um, awesome guy, really interesting dude. His ex is now with Jeff Bezos. Uh, we didn't really talk about that much. I didn't want to get into his personal business, but 
that's public news. So um, he's got an interesting connection with, you know, the uh, the stratosphere, both literally and economically. Uh, and then I went up to Ojai. I'm in L.A. right now. Went up to Ojai and uh, recorded a podcast with Daniele Bolelli, everyone's favorite Italian historian. And uh, they went out to dinner with him and his daughter and some other friends and uh, really nice. So anyway, I'm I'm recording them faster than I can post them. So I, I'm going to try to accelerate it. A, tonight is Saturday. I don't know if I'll get this out tonight. Um, actually, I think this will go up Monday. I'll schedule this one. Um, but uh, tonight we are doing this little get-together in L.A. No idea how many people are coming. It's not really in L.A. It's a little outside of L.A. in a place called Westlake. Um, so that'll probably stop some people from coming because, you know, everything's an hour drive in L.A. at least. Um, but anyway, no idea. It's, it's a weird thing. You don't know who's coming. You don't know how many people are coming. It could be five people. It could be 50 people. No idea. Next weekend, I think next Saturday, we're going to do a get-together in Santa Cruz. So if you are in Santa Cruz or near there and you want to get together, make sure you check my website, uh, thatchrisryan.com, and then go to About, and you'll see the Vanthropology option. Check Vanthropology, and that'll give you the, the date, the time, the location, that's all still being worked out. So you'll have to check there for the latest information. All right, I'm going to play you out with a song that really isn't thematically related to this episode at all. I thought about a couple songs that, that would kind of fit the theme, but I decided I'm going to play something that fits my mood right now. I'm in L.A., haven't been here for a while. The scar tissue, the the kind of filtration that's necessary to be in a place with as much chaos and energy and static and noise and left-hand turns and oncoming traffic, just craziness. Uh, I've lost all that, and so I feel like, um, I don't know, I'm like a shellfish without a shell. I just feel like, my God, this place is crazy. So as much as I've enjoyed the last few days, I got to say I'm really looking forward to getting out, heading up into Big Sur and just sitting under a tree for a day or two and, you know, calming down. Um, but in the meantime, there are some things that are cool about city living. And uh, this song always reminds me of some of the positives. It's called 101, as in the 101, which is the way everyone talks about roads in Southern California. It's not Route 101 or Interstate 101 or Highway 101. It's the 101 and the 5 and the 405. Um, anyway, this song's called 101, in parentheses, The Good Stuff, and it's by Nomads, spelled with a K, as in no, you know something, and it makes you mad. You're a nomad. So this is 101, The Good Stuff, by Nomads, and then we're going to be talking with Joe and Jesse from the, uh, what's it called? I'm sorry. Solution Point Plus. You can find out more about what they're doing at their website, solutionpointplus.com. Thank you for listening. This is another totally commercial-free, bullshit-free episode. If you want to support the podcast, you know how to do it. You've heard me say it a million times. 
I appreciate your support, and I imagine you appreciate me not going on and on about it. So I'm going to shut the fuck up and play 101 by the Nomads. Thanks. Bye. Set this lone wolf stops to howl at the moon. Let's get that slow motion entrance that capture a room. Cause we're the center stage of chilling and back with my goons. This is for the rainy days and the change that's happening soon. The things I say make these rappers fast track to their tune. More they underdeveloped and have to call back in their room. I breathe hazardous fumes, the home it ever concerned. Trying to act like they are part of this chatter that CERN. Though it's smarter to save, I think it's better to burn. Like trying to get them 24th in that Chevy. To turn. I got that good stuff, that Southern Cali hookup Out of town, I send my workout, let my products do the push-ups got the good stuff, and I can't stop feeding in a rental car Speeding down the 101 You got the good stuff, and I can't stop feeding in a rental car Speeding down the 101 Cause you got, you got, you got, you got You got the good stuff Cause you got, you got, you got, you got You got that good stuff that pot of gold, take it to the Bellagio, a legend in the game, I got more hits than Joe DiMaggio, rocking shows from Montana to Monaco, the planet understand us, the resurrection of rock and roll, we blessed they riding for us, give them that Tyrannosaurus, damn it's been a minute since someone spitted this kind of flow, we rising charts, give weak guard, it's a bleak season, how they got us competing with cats who never rhyme before, let you work on yourself, you need some time alone, I take your girl around the globe, she fly out for a private show i got a deal to make foreign models and real estate shorty riding with me she's so high can't feel her face
All right. I am here with Joe and Jesse, two guys who are working hard to uh, sort of reframe how we think about what? What would I say? Mental health treatment, uh, first responding, first responders to uh, to people who are distressed. How do you guys describe what you're doing? Yeah, that's spot Joe. on, Chris. Uh, yeah, thank you for having us. And so we are absolutely trying to reframe how people see and think about first responders, but also uh, mental health. We, we, we try not to stay in the small box of just policing, but uh, truly just acknowledging that uh, mental health, mental illness, mental wellness uh, is all uh, on the same spectrum. And, uh, and, and so no better time than the present because of everything that's been happening. You know, we, we are set up for exactly uh, what it is that's been going on. And so it's just an honor to get this time to talk with you, Chris, on your stage. So thank you. Oh, I'm very happy to have you guys here. Jesse, are, are you guys both police officers currently or former cops or what? Where, where what's your status at? Oh, a, a great question. So we we uh, we're former cops. We recently left. Uh, it's it's an interesting. It's been an interesting transition. So Joe and I have a long history. Uh, we were in the Marine Corps together. I've known him since 2000. We both served in Operation Enduring Freedom and Iraq, Operation Iraqi Freedom. I get out. Joe Joe uh, gets on the police department first. Uh, I was trying to figure out life. I thought I was going to do compliance law, and and I end up joining uh, after the crash of 2008. So. Uh, Joe gets on and finds his niche. He really found his thing. He joined the San Antonio Police Department. It's like it was a pilot mental health unit. And then he like grew it. And uh, eventually when I finished graduate school, they asked me to come on and I did and kind of helped grow them uh, also. And that's where, really where we took off. It was by interacting with people that suffer from mental illness, by trying to reframe how police respond, how the criminal justice system responds. Um, and we were trying our best to get, kind of make this work happen on a grander scale uh, i never imagined that it would kind of blow up to where it's been for us now what were you studying in grad school so uh, i uh criminal justice and criminology that's yeah. my thing I'm, I'm working on my phd right now i should start uh, my dissertation um uh in spring if all goes well yeah wow congratulations yeah. thanks that's, that's thanks. a long slog man he's the i did i did that as yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was know. an adult student as well. Yeah, but nothing, okay. nothing like you know after serving in Iraq. But uh, yeah, I started grad school in my mid thirties, um, and uh, yeah. Well, when you're working on your dissertation, keep in mind that there could be a book in there. You know, huh. focus. Okay. That's my advice. Fo keep your dissertation yeah. very focused, but keep in mind that later you might want to expand it and and get a book out of it. We'll see. That's that, great advice, especially coming from you. So I'll, I'll write that down for sure. Yeah. And, and he, <laughs> yeah, he knows this because... I lucked uh, out on that one. Yeah, I've been, well, I've been telling him too that because uh, I'm actually in the process of, of a book right now. And uh, oh. I've told him that, you know, it should be in tandem uh, because... And, and it's great too because his PhD absolutely helps us in our business. And he wants to, um, you know, do some of his dissertation based on what it is that we do uh, right now, which will help him out. So I think I think it's all good. Yeah, well, that's great. If you have, have a symbiotic relationship between the business and the research, you know, where it's win win. That's that's ideal. So you guys are, are you're both former cops now. Are you consulting to the police department? Are you like an outside consult kind of situation or what? what 
How do you get get called in on these cases? Yeah, so not not to our police department. Uh, our police department probably isn't the biggest fan of me, um, but they definitely like Jesse. But uh, no, and that's a whole nother story. You know, I, I like to say the higher the rank in policing, the higher the ego, and you just can't compete with it sometimes. Additionally, another saying that I found is that you're only allowed to be as smart as your rank. And for the last 18 months of my career in the police department, you know, I, I wellness, uh, officer wellness, suicide prevention, mental health uh, internally has been a passion of mine. And I was fortunate to speak at a NYPD headquarters at a suicide symposium back in 2019. And I came back on fire full of ideas like, hey, we can do things better. And every single one of those was rejected. And it's partly because it's like, ah, that's just Joe, you know, he's a patrolman, what does he know? But that was by choice for me, you know? It, the way our system was set up is if you, if you promote, you have to leave the unit you're on. And I didn't want to do that. And so to me, it was a conscious choice. But yes, now we work with other police agencies around the country. I mean, we're a lot in Iowa. We were in Louisiana now, North Carolina. Uh, we're going to be doing some work in Northern California. So we, we've done zero marketing. It's all been word of mouth. Uh, people have seen the documentary, uh, Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. And so they've reached out and just asked either for a keynote or for some virtual Zoom presentation. Uh, but mm. sometimes we get some training opportunities out of the, out of that as well and so uh, that's right. what we've been doing and then the latest thing is we just won uh, a, a nice federal contract to train to train all of the uh, federal bureau of prisons so we're excited about that and we just went up friday yeah congratulations all right thank you so so the company's called solution point plus is that right yes sir okay and and would you say the company is primarily focused on training or are, is it uh, spreading the, the news that there are alternative approaches? You don't need to shoot people who are having a bad day. Uh, you know what? And how does your work tie into the crisis that's, you know, sort of getting all this attention right now? Is that helpful for you? The, like people who are, who are, you know, having a meltdown are getting shot, you know, it's, right. it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I'll, I'll let Jesse pay you back after this. But uh, when people ask, so like, what is Solution Point Plus? What do you guys do? And what I like to say in short is, we're just in the business of helping people remember. And then I pause there and they look at me kind of weird. And, and when, when they say, well, what do you mean? And I remind them, look, as police officers, nobody is forcing you to keep that job. No one is forcing you to stay there and be employed by that agency. And yet so many of you will just begrudgingly go to work, pissed off, unhappy. Um, and so it's like, yeah, you I believe that when every, and I tell them when you got the letter or the email or the phone call that like, all right, you've been selected, you've gone through the process, you passed the test, the polygraph, the MMPI, you start the academy on Monday. None of you were pissed off about it. So what has happened between that day and right now where you show up to work mm. mad, you, you don't see people as people, you see them as problems. Uh, what changed? And uh, Jesse's been again, he's he got selected to do a TEDx talk this year, uh, which will become a up in the fall and and so he can talk about that but that's that's what we do is yes it's through training we we try and teach like help them remember why they're doing this in the first place understand that people are people they're not problems understand that like they used to love this work and now they're mad about it so what changed and really what we found is that it all comes down to unprocessed trauma most all of it is unprocessed trauma and then they 
they be, they become assholes and it's hard for them to see people as anything other than just problems in the community but jesse go ahead so so for context um what, what happened was a lot of people kept coming to San Antonio to figure out what, what's going on differently. What, how are you guys doing this? What, what's all this buzz about? And that started, I mean, I want to say as back as early, maybe it's 2015, 2014. And Joe would be selected to kind of give these, these tours and kind of talk about this topic. And he would be in front of mayors, city managers, sheriff's chiefs. And they're like, hey, you should start a business. You should really be a consultant. And they would always do this. Um, and he kept kind of blowing it off like, I'm just a cop, right? We had a very, very narrow mind, like we were, had, we were close-minded. And then finally he says, you know what, I'm gonna start one. And, we, and in 2017 we did. And it was just supposed to be this side gig for us. So like, we're not working on the side of the road, directing traffic. I'm not doing extra security jobs. I'm going to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, do this, right? And we have a couple of training times uh, twice, twice a year. And then uh, it's interesting you brought up with the crisis that's happening. With COVID going on, we really believed that nothing was going to happen anymore. Maybe this time I shut this down, like let's wait this out. As a matter of fact, Joe had, I want to say like eight or 10 keynotes scheduled last year mm. and they all got canceled. Yeah. And then George, George Floyd incident happened, right? That tragedy happened. Right. And surprisingly, I, I, I'm a surprise to us, uh, from September to the end of uh, 2020, so September to December, we just were filled with people asking us to train departments. And uh, he had had enough uh, kind of getting, uh, you know, ostracized by the department, singled out. Um, I think they believe that he kind of made this celebrity status out of himself, um, and, and that can bug a public administration. Mm. So I could see how unhappy he was. I'd never seen him like this before. I'd never seen this guy defeated or like bitter, and I could see it happening to him. And in September, uh, we pulled the trigger, right? He left the last week of September. I left the first week of October. And I'll tell you what, we haven't stopped working since. Yeah. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a tremendous time. Congratulations. That, you know, I, I don't really understand. I, I, you were working for the San Antonio Police Department, and your program that you guys were working on was bringing them a lot of positive attention, I, I would think. Right. Yes. You're, yes, you've you got would. people coming and taking tours and how do you guys do this? And this is fantastic. And yet somehow you became a problem. Is it just because you were too big for your britches? It's that sort of thing. Joe? I, I think that Absolutely. might have been the perception. Yeah. And, and again, it was it was the most bizarre thing. And I tell people, you know, that film was the best and worst thing for my career. Um, uh, right. I, I'm really glad that it was made. I'm, I think it was made really well. I'm, I'm proud of the work that Jen McShane did on it. But uh, it created a lot of problems within the department because, again, our, you know, our, our chief specifically was he was not a fan. He gave like direct orders to not support it to his command staff. Anyone that asked me to come provide a talk or speak, even on duty, which is something that I had always done before, it was denied. And so they basically muzzled me, put me in a corner, and, and it was like, for what? There was nothing negative about that uh, movie. And so I just, it was, it became yeah. frustrating. And so I finally just, you know, if you can't change it, complaining is not going to do anything about it. So I just decided to walk away from it. And I'm glad that we had this business in place. Um, and just every, everything was serendipitous. I mean, it worked out and we've been yeah. snowballing ever since. So I'm grateful. 
It shows you're on the right path, right? When when the doors open as you walk up to them, it's it's uh, that's very gratifying. What, tell tell us again the name of the movie so people can check it out. Yeah, it's Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops, and it's streaming on HBO. Uh, they bought it for three years, I believe. They have another year and a half left on it, so it'll be on there for a while. Uh, but yeah, you and if if anyone is in law enforcement listening to this, they actually just released it uh, for a year free for any law enforcement agencies to use in training or in their academy. So uh, you can just reach out to the film team at ernieandjoethefilm.com. Cool, cool. And while we're, uh, you know, giving shout outs here, let's let's give a shout out to Josie Wallace, who put us in touch. Please, uh, please. She's an awesome person. And uh, man, she sent me an email. I get emails every day, probably a dozen or more from publicists like, hey, you know, let this guy wrote a book and, you know, somebody's got this DVD course and, you know, blah, 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 like always selling some bullshit. Yeah. And I just delete, delete, delete. I don't even read them, most of them. And uh, she sent this email that was just like so professional, like here, here's why I find this personally important, my own personal connection to it here's why these guys are perfect for you to talk to here are three articles about them that you can do some background information it was just like totally it was like pre-digested food from the mum and bird you know all i had to do was go ah <laughs> so thank yeah, you josie yeah she's amazing and uh you know she's been a big supporter of us from the very beginning and and uh she's got uh, something's going on herself, which I'm, uh, she should be very proud of. She's doing good things. But when she mentioned uh, that we should be on her show, uh, automatically, right, I'm like thinking, oh, that's probably never going to happen, but that's a great idea. And, and if you want to endorse it, great. And uh, when she sent the email, we're like, wow, that was really nice of her. But I, even with all, how as articulate and well-prepared she was and how she did it, because she's great, I still really thought, like, there's no way we're going to hear back from this guy. And then when you wrote back, I'm like, oh, wow, like, we were both ecstatic. So thanks. Thanks yeah. for having us. Well, I, I hope she sets up a, a business being like a publicist to people yeah, with, yeah. you know, good messages because she knows I, what I she's I told her this, right? I said, uh, Solution Point Plus publicist. And uh, her response was, don't tempt a girl with a good time. So we'll see what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I think Jesse and I were walking and I was like, bro, on that email, she even put like her HBO username and password. Like she just, she gave him <laughs> That's her. That's right. It's like, it's like if you don't have access to HBO, here's my password. You can go in and watch them. It's like, damn, girl. Unbelievable. She was committed. All right. Yeah, no, I, I love yeah. it. Thank you, Josie. She's she's awesome. Uh, I met her at a book signing in Portland a couple of years I saw ago. The picture. And uh, you know, there's a line of people waiting for me to sign their books, and uh, she was the only person who asked me to sign her body. <laughs> yes, she did. I saw the picture. <laughs> you see the picture. All right. Kind of hard, hard to forget. Kind of hard to forget, yeah. right? Yeah, so, I'll never forget. So, so <laughs> thank the universe for that that interaction. That's why we're here. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the reason so listen, I want to write a book. Jesse, or I don't remember who who used the phrase un, um, unprocessed trauma, right? Where you're talking about the police officers. Yeah. Of course, you're also talking about trauma uh, in the case of the people who are, are having the issue that, that caused someone to call 911. Um, what do you think, uh, both of you guys talk about your military, you, you met in the Marines, you know, you both served overseas. Is there a connection between military training and overreaction in police work or sort of over-reliance on weapons because 
these guys sort of came of age as an occupying force in a foreign country and they bring a lot of that same mentality back home with them? Yeah, it's a, it's a super fascinating question and here's my take on it and it kind of flips it's on it on its head. And this is my opinion and I again I know that I'm not a representation of everybody, but to me it was the opposite. To me it was because I was in a combat zone, because I was in Iraq, because I was in a firefight, I could actually have the experience of being in combat. The problem that I see is these police officers that have not had the military experience, yet they join these police departments that claim to be paramilitary organizations, and they train them like a military boot camp, and they deploy them into their community. They're craving that adrenaline rump, uh, rush, right? They're craving that, that uh. adrenaline dump of excitement, and so they tend to be the ones to overreact. For me, I never felt like I was at war with my community. I never felt like, you know, there was times where I was scared. There was times where I was absolutely absolutely in danger sure but it was never the same like most times in policing if we're honest people are trying to get away from us they're not bringing the fight to us it's usually a reaction based on something that we're doing and i'm not saying that that's right or wrong it could be a traffic stop and there's a violation sure but again the point is is that people usually are inflicting pain or assaults or damage to us as a reaction to something that we're doing. There are ambushes, there are people that absolutely go out of their way and ambush cops, but it's so rare, it is so rare. And in my experience, it's been the officers who lack the experience, who crave that like high speed, you know, interaction because it's been so sensationalized. And so they want that badly and they're the ones that tend to react rather than respond. And it, for me, I never really got mm. caught up in a call, but I do appreciate that because I think that's what a lot of people think is maybe it's not a good idea to have people going from the military into policing. And in my experience, I think it's actually probably not a bad idea because they're actually better trained. They know the difference between combat and home, most of them. Uh, it's the ones that lack life experience. They live in their mom's basement. They're 21. They've watched live PD on on like rerun for 50 hours. And now, you know, they're playing Call of Duty, drinking Monster. And then they're like, I'm going to go be a mm. cop. And the, they lack the experience and the true ability to connect with people um, because it's just a totally different world. And then the training they get is so it's so like unnecessary. Um, the, the amount of time that's spent on it, uh, you know, the, the latest studies were on average 60 hours spent on learning how to shoot your handgun, but only eight hours on average in a police academy on communication. Right. We've got to learn to prioritize what's actually happening. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, we, we think the most dangerous part of police work is that we're going to be killed one day by some criminal. And the data continues to show year after year after year. That's simply not true. And in 2019, there was 49 officers killed in line of duty, 44 of those by handgun. But we had 239 officers kill themselves. That's like four to yeah. one rate. Why are, why are we not talking about resiliency? Why are we not talking about wellness? Why are we not uh, encouraging them or mandating that they have to go to mandatory mental health appointments every year? I just don't understand it. And so when you have people that aren't willing to talk about or process their trauma, yeah, they're going to show up and treat people like shit because they're frustrated and they're taking out all their frustration on whatever call that they're on. And so, again, that's just my experience from my point of view. What do you think about that, Jesse, the connection between military background and policing? Um, so th there was a lot to unpack there, and Joe touched a lot of things. I, I, uh, I, 
I was the same way, right? I came back from um, Iraq and I had unprocessed trauma. And I, I think there's the key. And I, I don't think it has to necessarily be related to military trauma. It can be for anything. Like, I mean, Joe's AC score is a nine, mine's an eight. Then we went to the Marines, right? Went to two wars, then became cops. And then I had a lot of trauma as a cop. But I want to just focus on that for a second, uh, on process trauma, because it is my belief that that's where all these problems are coming from. A lot of people are assuming that, you know, that law enforcement officers are inherently racist. They're, they're tying, uh, they're making blanket statements about very complex systems. And there's evidence that you could show that, you know, there's, you know, just disparities in the criminal justice system we can talk about all day long, right? That's what my MS is, right? We, we can talk about that. But what I think we're missing is, is uh, the spurious variable that nobody's accounting for. And I believe that there's a serious problem with a bunch of officers in the United States who have unprocessed trauma, and that unprocessed trauma is manifesting itself in really negative behaviors. And that's they're you know they're blowing their tops up, they're uh, excessively using force, um, the the way they're treating people, talking to people, um, and I tell people all the time I've never met a racist police officer except for once, and I've trained thousands now, and that wasn't even in a training context; it was just by random chance that I met this guy. That's a story for another time. But I think we're very idealistic, right? We see right and wrong, and we come. We, we it allows us to do our job well, right? We we have discernment. But after a while, like, it just starts wearing. And Joe says we're in the business of making people remember remember why. We lose the why. We get mm-hmm. jaded. We get angry, and we come we become very judgmental. We we judge people. We don't we don't approve of the way they raise their kids, the way they speak, the way they represent their culture, the drugs they use, the way they live their lifestyle, and that just comes across in such a negative way in all interaction. And we're trying to rem- remind them that that's a huge problem and i ask cops like think about everything you've gotten trouble for and you you know people have gotten trouble what have you gotten trouble for uh, you know, driving too fast wrecking cars you know excessive use of force mouthing off in front of a body camera right mounting off to your chain of command like all of this stems from their inability to be emotionally intelligent from their uh, inability to like not be impulsive or reckless and if you look at i mean i don't have to tell you uh, you know uh this is all stemmed to to trauma and uh, those are all symptoms of trauma. So that's what I believe. And I think if we did more to address that, I think we'd see a greater reduction in all these problematic behaviors. Um, that's, that's what I believe anyway. Do you guys think, are cops dealing with a sense of um, the ground shifting beneath their feet in some sense? Um, you guys both work in Texas, some of the strictest drug laws in the country and you cross into Colorado, New Mexico, and uh, marijuana, you buy it at the corner store. How, how does that feel as a cop throwing people in prison for something that's not even illegal 20 miles from here? Like, it kind of, I, when I put myself in a position of a police officer, I imagine like, like, you know, why are you asking me to do this? Nobody believes this nobody believes marijuana is a fucking problem half the country's legalized it and you guys still want me to throw people in prison for it i i feel like that would be traumatic psychologically for the for the police officer is that an issue or is the training just you follow your orders you do what you're told and you don't worry about it 
Well, that I mean, that's what they make you feel it is. But we also know that this is where moral injury comes from, because mm. absolutely right is, you know, there's a lot of cops that like learn to think for themselves after any period of time and they start to question things. Right. And this is another thing that we talk about in our training is I say, look, everyone needs to like challenge your BS. Right. Which is your belief system. Everything that you know right now, everything. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, good. I'm yeah. going to use that. Go ahead. <laughs> everything you know right now is because someone told you. Right. Everything, everything, you know, right. everything you believe is because someone told you or they showed you. What if there's another side? And this is why I don't like the term law enforcement, because in my opinion, there are certain laws that are just meant to be broken. If you're homeless, if you're you know, if if like, of, of course, you're going to be a pedestrian in the roadway. Of course, you're going to criminal trespass someone's property. Of course, like where else are you going to go? Of course, you're going to take a piss on the side of the road like this is absolutely something that's going to happen. But for these guys and girls that just think like, oh, there's a law, you broke it, you're a criminal and they don't see the person anymore. And this is the problem where we, we, we say, hey, you have to stay curious. Like, is there another way? So he, even here in San Antonio, they like, you know, they do the site and release and we're no longer going to arrest if it's like a certain amount. And so they're, they're like starting to address it and decriminalize it a little bit, but it's still not legal here for whatever reason. I mean, we're a super gun state in Texas, but like no to that green grass um you know and yeah i uh I, i'll tell you chris i had not ever smoked weed in my life and the, as soon as jesse and i left the department that was the first question that everyone asked us I was like are you guys gonna smoke yep. weed and i'm like i never even thought about it and then i went to vegas and i sure as hell did and i'm a fan uh i mean i don't want to like eat all the <laughs> cheetos and shit but I, I if it was legal and here's the reason why Absolutely. I got some of the best sleep of my life that night. And so, again, I yeah. don't want to, like, use it every all the time every day. But, hey, it helped me out. And uh, and I know that there's, like, a medicinal component to it. But, yeah, I, I never was weird about even beyond marijuana. Like, any time there was a crime committed, to me, all behaviors are a form of communication. So it was always about staying open to, like, what was the why behind that? Like, why, why did you do this? And when you get time to, like, when you spend time to actually get to know people and their story and find out that, like, oh, you're not just a sociopath out here trying to take advantage of people. There's usually a need or a reason behind why you're doing this and or this was a learned behavior. This is all you've ever known growing up. Why the hell should we expect that you're going to do anything different if this is all you've ever been taught or trained? And so, um, yeah, no, I, I'm not always super popular uh, in, in the rank and file because, you know, people think I just think so far out there. But it's like this is all based on experience as well. You know, like I, I think that there's a the smarter way to have policing interactions. I don't think it has to be from a position of authority. Uh, I think it can be from a position of compassion. And but we have to be willing to to be vulnerable enough and courageous enough to see it that way. And I was on patrol a I'd little like longer. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, sorry. So I was on patrol a little longer, and to, to that point specifically, there's also a lot of challenges, right? So one of them was the, the existence of the body camera. So there was once upon a time where I would like I would be the guy that would like grab the weed, I would stomp it out. I'm like, look, kid, like you're out here, you're, you know, I'm gonna give you a break. Let's get rid of this. And the use of the body camera really, the introduction of the body camera really eliminated that. So there's a lot of officers, right? So when Joe said that number one question asked to us, these are questions by other cops. Every cop would ask me, have you done weed yet? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, every, so all of, a lot of people have kind of like changed their minds about it, but the body camera's there, right? So if you were to do that, then you'd be suspended for destroying evidence and it turns into a whole thing. So yeah. I think the body camera was good for a lot of reasons, but it really took away a lot of officer discretion. 
Um, and right. weed was one of those. So I'm sorry, but go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you you answered the question I wanted yeah, to yeah. ask. Yeah, you yeah. know, if 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 you just gave someone a warning or said, hey, kid, what are you doing? You're in front of a school. Like, go smoke in the woods, you, you know, like, you idiot. Like, that's how cops in Spain would deal with you, you know? Like, cops in Spain, it's a very different... I, I lived in Spain for 20 years, so, like, I'm always sort of comparing the cultures. In Spain, the legal system is based upon whether or not you have bothered someone, not based upon whether or not you've broken a law. Right. Yeah. So if you're growing weed on your balcony in downtown Barcelona, overlooking a major avenue, and I saw this all the time, and weed was technically illegal, and all the cops can see your plants up there on your damn balcony, but nobody gives a shit unless your neighbors complain. If one of your weed plants is blocking their view or something, you know, then the cops would come up and say, dude, move your damn plants. You're blocking your neighbor's view. It's it's about keeping the peace. It's not, not about enforcing laws. No, I just, uh, you know, and meanwhile, in the States, they're flying around with heat, heat detecting helicopters, you know, trying to catch you. You're not bothering anyone. It's a totally different approach. Go ahead, Joe. No, I, I was provided a video last week uh, from San Diego and to, to give a soundbite to a news um, story because this, exactly to your point, there was a, uh, he was an African-American gentleman, clearly mentally ill. Uh, he's, he's wearing a life vest, like, you know, wearing everything he owns. He's got a bunch of shit on him. And he was taking a leak off the side of the road, but like in the woods. Um, and, and these officers on patrol were just driving by they stopped and said hey they got out like hey man you can't and the guy went off i mean he's like i'm just fucking taking a piss and he started walking away to me there was no complainant no one called that in he's obviously agitated like just let it go just just get back in the vehicle and drive away well they get back in the vehicle and they start following him and then they get to this intersection they get out they go on they, they grab him up take him to the ground and just start punching him in his face and someone's recording it and she's like stop it stop it and then there's like, i think seven or eight cops uh swarming to the scene all because this guy was just doing exactly what he it, like he's homeless he's taking a piss on the side of the road in the woods it's not like he was pissing on a school playground in front of a bunch of seven-year-olds you know but they were saying right. like hey you know people have to drive by and see that he didn't have his pants to his ankles you know he just freaking took a leak in, in the trees and it's like we but we don't want to look at it from the lens of how much of this are we instigating right we think we justify it in our minds of no no i'm out here doing a service i'm out here protecting the community i'm out here keeping things clean but really we're agitating situations and we're escalating situations and we're making things worse than they need to be and again i'm not saying you know to embrace anarchy and remove policing and just let everyone you know like let's live the purge but I also think that, again, there's a lot of situations where if we peel back the layers, we would realize that it was absolutely our doing of why it went to shit real quick. Meaning yeah. the police. Yeah. Yeah, definitely escalation is, is a big issue. Um, what Jesse, what do you guys, when, when you get down to the nitty gritty, what is it that you guys are doing? Are you saying uh, police departments should have a special unit, uh, unarmed unit that deals with these sort of mental health cases rather than just sending in uniformed officers? Or are you guys about training uniformed officers for how to handle these situations better? What are you guys doing specifically? That's a, that's a good question. So th there's, a, there's a lot of responses to this, right? I, I find that uh, 
there's two great perspectives in law enforcement, right? We want to say, or not law enforcement, in this world, in the mental health world, in society. And we can say left and right, uh, just for the sake of saying. And one side is like, hey, you know, the criminal justice system has no place with mental health, right? It shouldn't be responding. You guys are going to arrest everybody. You're going to beat them up. You're going to shoot them. You're going to put them in prison and, and you're going to ruin their lives. Stay away from them. And then you have the police chief saying, my men and women are only supposed to deal with crime. They should not be uh, dealing with mental health. They shouldn't be mental health calls. That's a community problem. And those, those are great perspectives. They want the same thing for very different reasons. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, Joe and I know uh, that the answer, as in most cases in society, is the answer is in the middle. Mm. And sadly, um, the laws that, because I tell people, you could have the, all the money in the world, you could have the greatest mental, mental health care system in the world, people are still going to get off their meds, people are still going to use drugs, and they're still going to go to crisis. And a lot of the laws in the country that involve taking somebody out of society and into uh, an intervention, even against their will, it's kind of the law lays that on law enforcement. So for a lot of different reasons, it's unrealistic to remove law enforcement completely. Right. I argue that the law enforcement officer today is better trained, more educated, can deal with more technology, has dealt with more changes than at any point in society. I truly believe this. And Joe and I have seen it. Like we've trained officers to be compassionate. We've trained officers to identify people with mental illness and, and, and how to deescalate them. And, uh, We've also trained civilians with no life experience that they're going to they're going to work in this field and we see them struggle. So I believe there's a balance and a lot of it, a lot of the agencies are doing corresponder models. We've been uh, consulting with them to try to trade them like you're a police agency. You're also going to work with a mental health professional. So you guys will be able to deescalate the crisis. We're going to train you how to do that. We're going to train you how to talk to these individuals, bring them down, get, come out with a safer resolution. But you need the mental health professional to do all the case management. And we, we've made all the mistakes in the mental health unit. We try to take all the matters in our own hands. We try to do all the case management. We try to, you'll see the film. Joe's going back to people's houses and checking on them. I think that's too much to give any uh, police agency a, a burden, right? And then, but sadly, you also have agencies that are like, fuck this. That's not for us. Like, even now, like, we're, we're we, the way we do business is we find a third-party entity that wants to pay for this. So it's free for the law enforcement officer. So a hospital system, a nonprofit, even a church sometimes, a local mental authority will pay for us to come. We open the seats. And we still struggle, struggle to find them because people have a perception of what this is. They think on day one that we're a bunch of social workers. They're going to come say that, hey, we're going to take your guns away and we're going to say hug, hug everybody. Uh, rainbows and butterflies is going to solve the world, right? Utopias for us. And then they hear us talk and that we've been through this shit, right, on, on both ends. And they listen and they're like, oh, wow. And then Joe talks about how much it works. We have videos of how it works. They see the film. And in, in five days, we can change culture within a person like this. And then it kind of cascades mm. out. But uh, a, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on this. And uh, my short answer I should have given you is the answer is in the middle. The answer is in the middle. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's it's awesome that you guys are doing this as former cops and former Marines, uh, because or maybe you're always a Marine, once a Marine. I don't know. Right, Is there Chris. such a thing as right. former Marines? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, former yes, X no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I could just imagine the way a room full of cops would uh, react to some uh, psychologist, you know, coming in and telling them how they have to. Uh, behave on a call we've seen know. it yeah, yeah. we've Forget seen it. about it yeah. yeah not a chance so yeah having having you guys be able to 
you know, have some street cred, I think, is is uh, super important. And uh, really, I applaud you for doing that. The the There's a program in Portland. Are you guys involved with that at all? Or do you know about that? Or was it Portland or was it Bend, maybe? Someplace in Oregon where they shifted all the mental health calls away from uniformed police to a special squad. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's called Cahoots. Like Cahoots? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. What's it called? Cahoots. Yeah. Cahoots. Yeah, it's like, um, and, I'm going to get it wrong, but something about like maybe civilian assistance helping out on the streets or crisis yeah. assistance helping out on the streets, something like that. But it's, right. yeah, it's Cahoots program. Uh, they're non-law enforcement, non-uniformed, unarmed, and uh, they, they respond to behavioral health calls. Yeah, I'm very familiar with them. They've been around a long time. Uh, I know New York City uh, has Thrive New York City. I'm actually talking to them tomorrow uh, because I think in two of the five boroughs, they're uh, going to a non-uniform response to mental health calls, and they're only going to have civilians responding to those as well. Uh, again, I, I, to Jesse's point, too, I think I do think this is a mathematical problem, but I think that it shouldn't be a subtraction problem. I think it needs to be an addition problem. And I think mm. just removing police carte blanche because what they're real they're not it's not that they're wanting to remove the police they're wanting to remove the gun because if you remove the gun then you can't kill someone with a mental illness the problem is and we've seen this is that we're, we're relying heavily on assumptions just because someone is a quote-unquote clinician that has a bachelor's in psychology or even a master's degree does not make them more compassionate than a, a cop who gives a shit and we've seen it so many times in our training that the police are far superior to handle de-escalation situations than your quote-unquote clinicians because it's not comfortable for them cops are used to interacting with people in a complex environments Clinicians are like, especially if they're fresh out of school, they're used to very controlled environments, very sanitized environments. And so to send them at midnight or 3 a.m. to someone's house that's on meth and dealing with uh, psychosis, like th that is not in their comfort zone. And so they're they're not thinking about how do I connect with this individual to deescalate? They're thinking, what in the hell have I done? And like, oh, my God, I can't just show up and talk about the diagnostic st statistics manual like this is I'm in over my head here. And so it just it, it, I think we have to slow down a little bit until we train the, the community like of America until we train people about what mental health and mental illness is until we can start to really deal with like the foundation, the root of these problems, because I always found it fascinating that people who are unwilling or unable to deal with a problem themselves call the police and then the police show up and then the people that called have this magical expectation and as soon as the cop does something that's usually within their scope to do it the person calling is pissed off about it like well why are you doing that and the the, the comeback is always like well why the hell did you call the police like i'm not a mental health expert you're not a mental health expert so like why are we dealing with this but we've got to train the community first on like Maybe just because some, someone is simply symptomatic of their mental illness, maybe we shouldn't call 911, right? Maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should go up and talk to them ourselves and say, hey, is there a doctor I can call? Or maybe we can get you to a clinic or a hospital, but let's not involve law enforcement. But I think until that happens, police are, I mean, people are trained, see something, say something. And so when they see someone acting out or doing something weird, they're like, ah, 911, all right? Someone's mm -hmm. running in the street, 911. Someone stole something, 911. Someone's acting out, 911. And so 
then these cops show up, most of them without the training. Still, of the 18,000 police departments, Chris, more than half of them still do not have basic 40-hour crisis intervention training, which is the mental health training. More than half of them don't have any mental health training at all, which is a problem. And so, but but the, the, the community has these expectations that because you're a uniformed officer, you're also a mental health expert, which, which is never, like, that's just so far from reality. Yeah, yeah. Do you see any difference in, in I mean, I, f- I feel like a major problem, uh, you guys probably aren't old enough to remember this, but I remember when Reagan was elected and he started shutting down mental hospitals, psychiatric hospitals and putting people on the street and all fucking hell broke loose. And the idea was, ah, the community will take care of them. Their family will take care of the, you know, church will take care of them. But, you know, that was really all just politics Jesse and money and all class. that. <laughs> yeah, Say that I, again? I, actually, I said Jesse teaches this class. Oh, go yeah. ahead, Jesse. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of history here, right? And, and you know, and, you know, the, you know, there was this idea that we're going to close these hospitals and that there's going to be community, community-based treatment modalities are going to come. And they kind of left it to each state to kind of figure it out. And we all know that each state has royally fucked it up. And even the ones that have done well aren't doing perfect. Um, and it's kind of interesting, right? Like we work a lot of in Iowa. And I remember going in, in Iowa in 2017, I told the cops, you know, I remember when I was watching the news and the governor come on and she'd come up with this brand new mental health legislation. And I being the cop, I am the skeptic. I am is like, bullshit, bullshit. You know, this is some bullshit. And I drank my coffee, got dressed and went and did the training. Now we're in 21 and I, I we're, we've seen kind of like some of these things develop public policy, super slow moving. But I also have a, you know, a perspective, right? Cause like, again, all things are in the middle. A lot of people go out of the way to stress that people with mental illness are no more dangerous or violent than the general population, right? We, we stress that all the time. It's in our training. Every mental health training I've ever been a part of suggested, right? As a matter of fact, people that have mental illness are more likely to be victimized, right? They suffer tremendous traumas than the general population. But we also address the elephant in the room, Chris, and that's this idea that no one wants to talk about. And it was NAMI that just, you know, I think it was in 2018, they first posted on their Facebook. Joe and I presented on this topic at International uh, CIT in 2019, I think. And that's that serious mental illness, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, serious mental illness, when left untreated, when people are not in treatment, that is a predictor of violence. Right. And then you include drugs. Right. If I ask you affected disorder, I'm not a medication. I've been off my meds for months. I'm going to go use meth now. Right. I'm a meth. And I have used meth. Maybe I have antisocial personality disorder. All these predictors go up, but we don't talk about those things. And, you know, we also talk about all these incidences of, of mass violence. And, uh, you know, we look at some things and you know, people either blame guns or mental health. And again, I say they think all the answers in the middle. I, I am not saying that we're like proposing institutionalization again, but you're bringing up a valid point, Chris. There are individuals that are very sick in society that I don't think community resources can support them. And even even so, that community resources are lacking. Um, so 
that, that's just a tough thing to navigate. But in, in, in public safety, law enforcement officers, we have to have these talks. We have to discuss these things. And the last thing I did on the police department, I was a coordinator of the threat assessment team for the Southwest Texas Fusion Center. And all we did is look at cases and try to stop mass violence from happening. A great majority of individuals, serious mental illness, left untreated, were using drugs, and there wasn't any mechanisms in place to modif modify their behaviors or manage them. Um, so it's super complex, and it, it falls back on law enforcement, as most societal failings do. There's a lot of challenges here. And then on top of all that, you've got uh, geopolitical changes where, you know, uh, a guy with a high school education can't, can't support a family anymore. So what, what kind of blow to his dignity uh, you know, does that create, create uh, divorce, create conflict within the family, create shame? And, uh, you know, I remember reading a line years ago, uh, I forget where it was, but, but he said the, the character was ang angry because he was ashamed. And the line was anger, something like anger that comes from shame burns the hottest. You know, like that is the worst anger when it's fueled by shame. Uh, and I can't help but think that so many people are dealing with that now. Mm -hmm. They've lost their jobs. They're, you know, we're, people have been uh, these, ev these eviction uh, moratoriums that are about to run out. How many tens of thousands of people are about to be kicked out onto the street? And then you're asking cops to arrest them for taking a piss by the side of the road? It's... Uh, there's rage of course there is and that's it's and that's crazy. why we teach that behaviors are simply communication and if we can just mm -hmm. like understand that no matter what people are doing on the surface it's manifested from some internal feeling and and i agree with that saying i've never heard it but i agree with it like because anger shows up usually in some form of behavior whatever that looks like for that person uh but it absolutely if it stemmed from shame or embarrassment or guilt because i can't provide for someone now i'm gonna rage the f out because it's like fuck it all right what does it matter and but yeah from from police officers that lack true understanding or compassion or empathy and, and, and you know jesse and i talk about this in the training he says look by the end of the week you could suck at everything that we gave you this week i mean you could be terrible at all of this but if you just had empathy like if you just had empathy, you would go so much further in your career, like without getting burnt out and pissed off and, and being highly affected by all this. But we lack that. So many people lack empathy because, well, it's easy for me to see, you know, from look, I'm gainfully employed. I've got insurance. I've got a pension. I've got this. I've got that. Like, you know, and if you've never struggled, if you've never had to, like, be put through the fire it's very hard for you to kind of appreciate someone else's struggle. And, and again, I, I have no doubt about it. That's why Jesse and I were so good at what we did in policing and mental health and now as trainers is because we have struggled mightily, uh, either as, as kids in, in fucked up homes, you know, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse, uh, abandonment, all the things. And then in, in combat where you're having to like be surrounded by death and chaos. And then in a police department where it's like a lot of, you know, in my opinion, it's a lot of like the, the wannabe behavior. It's like, I, again, a noble service. I love the men and women that do that job. Uh, but I also think that there's 
there's a lot of like, uh, there's an identity crisis within policing and there's a complex issue. And, um, you know, we lack vulnerability. We lack true courage. We think just putting on the uniform and the badge is courage. Uh, and I would push back on that a little bit and say, you know, to me, real courage is being emotionally intelligent and showing up and actually having a desire to get to know people and connect with them so that you can actually make a difference, not just, you know, try and fix their problem, arrest the problem, hospitalize the problem, write them a ticket. Like just sanctioning behavior does not work. We know this. You, you can sanction the shit out of people. It doesn't work. Prison doesn't work. Spankings don't work. Like none of that shit works. And so, but people go to that because it's all they've ever known. And we have to look at things again from a behavioral standpoint, but also understanding that underneath that is communication. And it's all stemming from like people like, look, everything goes down to two buckets, right? It's either it's an act of love or it's a call for love. And uh, if we could understand to simplify it like that, I think we could be in a lot better place. You guys, uh, you keep using words like compassion and understanding and courage and <laughs> processing trauma. It sounds to me like you're not interested in just training cops to be more prepared to deal with situations. You're, you're trying to help them become better people. And these are... He's good. He's <laughs> fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Ryan. For no, I mean, seriously. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't that what we're all trying to do? We're all trying to increase our understanding and our compassion and so on. Um, but does that put you at loggerheads with the, the politicians or the administrators in the police department where you're trying to help guys on the street be more comprehensive and compassionate <laughs> And maybe the guys at the top are like, "Fuck that! We just need arrest numbers." We're, we're gonna Jesse? we're gonna give you a little we're gonna give you a little secret here. All right? all right, and this this is Joe's secret. And our training ended up ended up having an indirect effect. Just the forty hour because we just started doing the crisis intervention training. That was it. But Joe and I know, and Joe, Joe's learned this, and Joe preaches this heavily, that you can't really take care of somebody unless you're taking care of yourself. And the indirect effect of the training that came out was just that, Chris, is it was a way for us to start having officers think about their own mental health, to start thinking introspectively. Why am I doing these things? So like Monday, they're like, all right, who are you guys? All right, I'm listening. All right, I'm, I'll give it a shot. And then you give them the skills. And then we give them some complex stuff on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we're hitting them in the feels. We're getting them in the gut, right? On Wednesday, you start seeing like, Firing click off, you know. Thursday, it's all about like their job. They see the film, um, and then Friday, Joe. We not only do we pass them, we test them, we pass them, but Joe gives them the skills, right? If you wanted some skill sets to help you with your own mental resiliency, here is it. And man, they leave our best friends. On Monday, they're going and kicking and screaming. I can't believe I have to do this. I have to sit here for a week and do this. And then you start seeing them transition, but that's it, right? We believe that the better the person is, the better the interventionists are going to be, the better cop they're going to be, the better clinician, whatever. It's right. all about them being a better person. But yes, empathy, compassion, vulnerability are like our mantras, man. It, we infuse it so much. And uh, we really have them do it in role play scenarios, right? Like we we get them to practically ap apply the skills in role play scenarios and it's what we ask for from them and they show us that it can do it. So it's a really, really good thing. But I, I love that you picked up on that, man, because you're right. 
on the political space, uh, people that are hiring us or not knowing any better or sending their people to us, they're not concerned with that. Joe says this all the time. All the training you get now is how to be better for the public, how to be better for the public, how to be better for the public. We want to start asking the question, when can you start being better for yourself? And uh, I'll let Joe take it from there because he, he's pretty uh, poignant about it. Well, well, two things coming up. One is uh, I, I, I love that you got that, Chris. But yeah, to me, in my opinion, the higher the rank, the deeper the secret. Um, and, and I think that people in administration need the most help, but they're the least likely to get it because that's not for me. That's for them. I care about my men and women. So let's let's train the, uh, the, the patrol officers. But what I know is they absolutely need it the most, not only because they've been in the, the job the longest, but, hmm. you know, Jesse talks about this as well. But like, in our opinion, one of the most difficult jobs right now in the country is that of a police administrator, because I think they want to care for their people doing the job. But they're also at the discretion of like the public who's like make one stupid freaking mistake or choice. Or if one of your officers gets into a shooting, now it's your fault as the public head. And so there's a lot of pressure there that's going on. And that's that's taxing on them. But the other thing is yes we're training people to be better humans um I, yesterday i was fortunate to virtually uh, speak at the los angeles county sheriff's uh, department cadet graduation and i'm doing this spiel they were asking me incredible questions the first question was you know we we just graduated from months of training about a police mindset but we just watched the documentary where it seemed like you had a more uh humanistic approach like can you talk about that and i was like what a great question and so i said look this probably will be my last time being invited to speak to your cadet class uh although it was my first but challenge your bs everything that you were just trained and taught is just one perspective like yes you could die at some point in your career but you know what else like you have got to take care of yourself if you're waiting for your department or for your city to come save you they're not coming it is an individual responsibility and then the last thing and i went on and on about wellness but the last thing is jesse and i discovered this is we're not just training police officers our biggest client here in texas i don't know if uh, actually yeah because you well i don't know if you've been on joe rogan in california or austin but um but in Texas, it's H-E-B, right, is our grocery store. But they're the largest right. employer in Texas. And um, they're a client of ours, right? Over 100,000 employees. It's a grocery chain. But they love their people, what they call partners. And they work with us on de-escalation techniques, listening, empathy, uh, leadership, things like that, where, you know, it's because they've recognized that, like, man, you guys are really good at talking about this stuff, connecting with people. And it's not just for police officers it's not just for first responders it really is for people but then as a business you can't ever go in and be like this is for everybody because people are like shut up you've got to have your niche but also it's like no really we've done yeah. this in schools we've done it at hospitals we've done it for construction workers no bullshit um for grocery stores so it, it really does transcend because Banks. we are talking about how to maximize the human experience yeah yeah, no doubt. I mean, parenting, yeah. uh, marriages, like nonviolent communication, man. If you All can't do it. You're laughing right now, though, Chris. All of them are <laughs> laughing. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's have Joe talk about marriage. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I imagine you would have a lot to say about it, though. Still, there's still a lot, a lot to process. I've learned a lot. Yeah. yeah. Failure teaches. <laughs> yeah, it's the best teacher. All right, listen, guys, I've taken an hour of your time. I really appreciate you uh, making yourselves available at this short notice and 
even more so, I appreciate what you're putting out into the world. It's it's uh, awesome. I I have friends who are cops. I have friends who are working fire departments, emergency rooms, you know, and I just have so much love for them, and they're so underappreciated. And, uh, you know, anyone who's helping them get through it, it, you know, it's ironic. I always think about, like, medical students, right? You're in med school. Your whole life is oriented toward helping people be healthier. And they've got you working 40-hour shifts. No sleep. What the fuck? What is going on? Yeah. Like, we're not taking care of the caregivers. It, it makes no sense. So, and anyway, I, I applaud one, what you're doing. The ones listening to you just said, ha, I wish it was 40 hours because they sign up for so much extra. They're working 60 hours a week because they can't help themselves. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we busy ourselves. Dude, I don't mean a week. I, I mean he, at he, a stretch without a, sleeping. He shift. Yeah, he said a shift. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Not, not a week. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, Chris. All Thank right. So well, much. listen, anyone who uh, wants to check you guys out, go to solutionpointplus.com. Is that uh, the best place to find your work? All spelled out. Yes, sir. All right. Cool. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate this. Thanks, Chris. Be well. It's been our pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Okay, Mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay. In our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. <clears throat> Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially speaking, paleo modern and talking out of my ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals. Right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day 
what's a big deal if you want to be free say what you want to feel spend the night with me i'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground 